Okay, welcome everyone to uh, this month's Wiser Wednesday. So today we're going to be talking about high-performing hybrid teams. So really looking forward to um, getting into the debate. Um, I'm James Potton. I believe in a world of entrepreneurial success without burnout. Um, almost, uh, almost got the the T-shirt the there. It's um, it is a challenge, and um, it's why it's great to um, talk with uh, really inspiring people about how how they're sort of navigating this landscape. So, um, have worked in high-performing teams personally. Um, hybrid, not so much. I have, you know. There's there's examples of it, but we'll we'll jump into it in the discussion. Um, I have we have employee number one who I've never met in in Amplified at the moment. So um, we, we've obviously like met lots on on Zoom. So and Sophie's working out like really well. So it's going to be you know. But I'm I'm also learning on this journey. Um, so you know, it's the dream to get this to work because there's a lot in uh, mental health that can really um, come through from not having that sort of de daily commute uh, or, or reducing it. Um, our, our panel might be a bit biased today. I think uh, everyone's looking to see how we can make this work. Um, you know, but the, the sort of devil's in the detail. So first up, the panelists. Um, we've got Alison Coward from Bracket. So your favourite film is Limitless, is which is what you try and help people become. You also have uh, full names to your cats, but I'm not allowed to share any more than that. So you, <laughs> you promised me not to. You You're promised welcome. me wouldn't. <laughs> I did exactly. So I'm not. I'm not going to share it. I'm, I'm going to keep that quiet. Um, so yeah, really good to have you here, Alison. Um, Danny, you're a hybrid consultant, and you're um, ex. Uh, Oyster HR. I uh, used to make a living playing the blues, uh, busking for like dinner pretty regularly. Now you just do it for your energy bills. Um, you paint little model orcs uh, and you're, you're also in like the Air Cadets. So, and we actually used to work together back along uh, in, in the design and tech school. And we kind of had a hybrid, um, you know, I used to be up Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays or, or some acronym like that. So um, yeah, really interested because we've got like shared experience of that. Um, John Hopkins, so not the DJ, so not the first time you've probably heard that. You're the founder of Workflex Australia, um, so calling in from Melbourne. Um, so getting quite late for you. Fun fact that still astonishes your students is that you've never seen a Harry Potter film. Checked on Rotten Tomatoes and it gets uh, nine and three quarters out of ten, so I reckon it's worth a watch. That'll be an inside joke for anyone, so you won't know that, John. Uh, finally, Kay uh, Murden, founder and CEO of Push. So um, you recently came back from a festival in Croatia, having done 38,000 steps in one day. Okay. Sounds like you should have been sponsored. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I'll be going to that festival in any rush. Um, so look, really excited to hear from everyone. Um, uh, to set the mood, uh, a, a bun fight is a fun fight or a fun night. So let's kind of, you know, you know, jump in. Uh, I'll try and leave space for you to to um, to all share your views. Uh, you know, try not to swear. You know, it's live, but you know, bad jokes are always um, welcome. Um, and I always say a bad joke here. So, such as a common, an alternative common word game. So I saw this. So, what is a flatulence? So, an emergency vehicle that picks you up after you're run over by a steamroller. <laughs> anyway. Set the tone. Oh, bad. <laughs> so, right. oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, look, um, let's um, let's all jump in. So, in less than one minute, actually, it's like starting with Alison. So, what got you to where you are today? Like, tell us um, your journey. So, off you go. Gosh, um, in one minute. Okay. So, um, I have a background in um, helping creative businesses. Actually, um, my very first, well, secondish career was working in organisations that supported um, self-employed creatives. Um, got very interested in how to support them more effectively, did an MA, came out the other end with a um, business idea. 
And the reason I came at the other end with the business idea is because I saw that there was an opportunity to encourage creative individuals to collaborate on projects for clients. Um, and that's where I got really interested in teamwork, collaboration. How do you bring, um, you know, people that are the best at what they do together into essentially high performing teams? Um, and uh, that was, I guess, the initial inception of Bracket was more of an agency bringing creative freelancers together. Um, by accident, I realised I was really good at workshop facilitation and organisations started to ask me to do that for them. And through evolution, that's where I just got really fascinated by more by the dynamics, more by team culture. So essentially what I was doing with freelancers, um, I started doing inside of organisations. And so now Bracket is a fully fledged team culture consultancy work with clients across all types of industries from tech to financial services to um, a lot of creative agencies because that's my background and um, we do a lot of workshops um, of course because that's kind of what my passion is um, but we are also very keen on ensuring that people develop the skills themselves in facilitation and also um, you know how do they uh, continuously evolve and change their culture so all the aspects around you know developing ideas but also implementing them and the behavior change that's necessary to get there awesome great thank you Alison so really looking forward to hearing from you on all these points so uh, Danny I'll go around uh, you're up next yeah so god how do you, I, I'm a very much a generalist how do you summarize that in a minute or less um uh yeah, so I uh, I guess I used to be a software engineer. Used to work work very much in tech, doing techie stuff, right? Um, and then I ended up doing a lot of teaching people to code, right? Um, and and it's funny in all of that work and all the various other work that I found myself doing over over the time, I, I've always been drawn to like one of two or, or or the combination of two things, right? Systems, which is like code is systems, right? And I was always fascinated by like architecture and all that kind of stuff about how do you how do you make things repeatable and easy to understand and easy to use and easy to reason about and build mental models about? So there's all the system stuff and then all the human people stuff, right? Which also a lot of engineering should be about more. Um, and that's kind of led me into the teaching thing. And, and I guess I've found myself, uh, it's funny when you, you, you said, um, Alison, like accidentally facilitating workshops. Like I, I feel like I've accidentally ended up, um, ended up becoming like a kind of, organization opsy hre people opsy type person and um uh, and i'm not really quite sure how that happened but it, <laughs> it, 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 it's um it but it's brilliant because it combines both those things systems and people uh, yeah. and i and i've i've you know i've found myself in the last four years probably doing a lot of work with remote companies specifically around how to design companies to work well remotely um and you know like last year i was working with a company called oyster that grew from 13 people when i joined to 500 people when i left in a year and um and a billion dollar valuation and it was absolutely mental um because everyone was remote uh and in all different time zones all over the world and everything and i and i, I have quite a strong belief that um that the, the kind of future of work almost it is going to be distributed around the world and we're going to hire people from all over and it shouldn't matter where we're at right but um but that means changing how we do work uh which is not as easy as i'm sure we'll talk about for the rest of this thing so yeah. that's kind of like my big thing now and i'm really glad i've ended up there because it mostly was a sort of accident so now amazing uh, sometimes you know the best journeys are hey so um yeah thanks danny and really uh, you know 
hey, we're doing different time zones here. So yeah, John, you're calling from Melbourne. So yeah, far away. Tell us your journey. Yeah, look, mine was also another accident, if you like. And uh, my background, I'm actually a mechanical engineer by trade. Uh, but for the last kind of 15 years or so, I've worked in academia. So my day job even today is a university lecturer and associate professor of supply chain management. So I was working on a supply chain project close to 10 years ago now that was looking at how to reduce congestion around cities. So uh, congestion is obviously, it's expensive. So from a business perspective, it causes delays, it's disruptive, it's bad for the environment. And we were working together with local government, looking at a project to reduce congestion around Melbourne. And, um, you know, the very first, I remember almost the first day or first week of that project, it's like, well, let's, let's kind of dig into this. You know, we're using a kind of design thinking mentality into why, why do we even have congestion? We have congestion because a lot of people travel to and from work at the same time. We don't, cities aren't congested all the time. So that dawned on us very quickly. And then shortly after that, we kind of realized that these people are traveling to offices. They're taking laptops with them to work. They don't need them anymore. And that really started uh, my real passion for the subject. And uh, as much as uh, I'm very lucky to work with really large organizations, small companies and lots of governments around the world, looking at you know, hybrid and, well, even before hybrid, so sort of remote work trends. And, um, and yeah, obviously, until about two years ago, everyone said, oh, no, it's crazy. It's never going to happen. You're mad. And then within two years, everybody's kind of doing it. So look, really, really interested in um, in the discussion tonight and talking about hybrid work. Awesome, great, thanks, John. Uh, and yeah, finally, Kate. Hello, um, I'm Kate, I'm the founder of Push. Um, uh, I suppose you could say Push was a, a happy accident, um, but it also came out of a total shitstorm in my life, to be really honest. Um, I, um, I worked in advertising for the best part of 20 years, and to cut a very long and boring story short, I ended up being signed off with stress and horribly burnt out. Um, and whilst I knew I could go back into it, um, it just no longer felt right on many levels, on a kind of values level, on a purpose level, and certainly in terms of how burnt out I was from it and not being able to look after myself. I could see this happening to more and more people around me and just genuinely wanted to do something about it. And that's how Push was formed. Um, and over the last eight years, boy, has it evolved. Um, and as you can imagine, over the last couple of years, um, in particular, um, when we talk about the fact that actually we want to help people think feel do and manage better which are our four big pillars boy has it never been more called into uh, called into need as it were and um, our whole thing is about how we want to make work better we've made a commitment that over the next three years we are going to help three million people uh make work better um why did i sign myself up for that? <laughs> um yeah but the the commitment there is very much that we help obviously corporates but then um uh, what we also want to do is then go and help uh, communities um, with our not-for-profit and charity work and then also push futures, uh, which is very much about helping schools and uni leavers uh, getting into the world of work, um, which, as you can imagine at the moment, feels more important than ever, given everything that's going on with mental health um, for young people. Um, and the final thing, I suppose, really to say is how do we do that? How do we make work better? Um, I'm obsessed with helping people think, feel, do and manage better. And really the bit that 
I think the crucial bit is helping people understand the importance of how they're feeling. And for me, that's about really raising up the agenda, having helping people have much greater awareness of, of how they're feeling and how they can manage that better. But also, um, and this is a big thing that we're launching in particular when we think about World Mental Health Day, if we have a critical aim about really improving how people feel, then we have to keep this stuff really simple. And as much as I'm, I, I want my business to be a success, this isn't about massive training programs or apps or any of those things. It's about helping organizations create safe spaces. And we're on a real mission to do that. So helping people understand themselves better, have the tools to look after themselves, but genuinely creating safe spaces in organizations where people can speak up when stuff's coming up. And it's actually pretty simple. Um, so yeah, that's us. Awesome, great, thank you. Okay, look, so really good to, um, to, to hear like, yeah, what, the passion in the room and like what got you to where you are uh, right now. So, um, so much knowledge to tap into. So like starting off really simple, Danny, what's your, what's hybrid working? <laughs> Take us away. So, so you, you sent me that earlier and I was like, damn, that's harder to answer than it sounds, <laughs> right? Um, it, Cause it is really funny that I, I feel like like, you know, obviously the pandemic, the evolution of like hybrid working, like, you know how we always used to call, call it like WFH, right? Work from home like that that was kind of hybrid work it was basically being in an office but like people didn't have to be there all the time right and I, I worked in a few big big corporate places like that and it it didn't it never really worked that well because you know you'd be in meetings with like on that quiet laptop in the corner and you couldn't really hear anyone and everything and and obviously you know the the thing the pandemic's done is kind of flip that around the other way right um and i feel like hybrid working done well now is probably much more remote first in its nature um but 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 i guess the reason i'm like that's quite a hard question to answer is that i i i i like i think we're all still working out how to do hybrid working well like i don't think anyone and like i talk with lots of like people who like uh kind of you know have been doing big remote first organizations for a long 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 time kind of have offices and stuff no one really it's a bit like global compensation it's one of those things people just haven't quite worked out how to do yet right and and i think that's really really interesting and and and, and so i guess for me hybrid working done well probably looks like remote working like remote first asynchronous working these kinds of things but like people can go to a place if they want to and, you know, and I think that's what it looks like, but, but it's kind of weird because there's loads of stuff like certain workshops and all of this that are much, much better done in, in, in person. Right. And I still feel like what is hybrid working? Like, I feel like we're kind of working that out because it definitely isn't in my opinion, being like, Hey, you've got to be in the office like four days a week and you can have one day at home, you know? Um, and, <laughs> and so, which is what it's being uh, molded to, dependent on uh, who's leading yeah. which company. So depending on the, your agenda, is exactly yeah, yeah, right, yeah. you know. And and but but I, I think it, yeah, it's interesting. I'd love to know what everybody else thinks. Like you know, yeah, yeah. Jump in. Has anyone got? Right? Yeah, um, Alison. Yeah, I actually um, as everyone was doing their introductions, I had a bit of a light bulb moment because. I just I mentioned that I um, you know used to work in the creative industries and the initial inception of Bracket was about bringing teams of freelancers together into teams to run projects for clients. I did my MA 15 years ago in 2007 and Bracket was essentially about running remote teams, distributed teams. So hybrid working isn't actually anything that new. Like we've got a label on it now, 
but it's actually been in the pipeline for a very, very long, I mean, even before 2007, all the reading that I was doing around the creative industries and how it, freelancers worked, we're kind of starting to see that come into play now. Um, I would say, and I'll probably talk about this a lot more throughout the, the session, for me, hybrid work is work. Like we've got a label on it now because we're going through this transition and we kind of need to call it something. In the future, I hope that we have evolved to be able to have conversations about work, whether people are working in an office together, whether they're working from home, whether they're doing a mixture of the two, whether they're working for anywhere. And I think we kind of, you know, I'm a big advocate of hybrid working because it, it um, advocates for flexibility and people being able to do the work in the way that works best for them and therefore that's how you build a high performing team but essentially the crux of it is this is work this ain't going away this is work this is evolving it's all you know as Danny said we we're still figuring it out I feel like we're going to be figuring it out forever because work is changing forever we're never going to be at an end point where it's like yeah tick hybrid work sorted awesome yeah okay great um Kay, did you want to jump in yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a number of things here, isn't there? I think the the thing around hybrid working and and you've just put it so right, Alison. Like the point is, is that it's it. That, let's stop naming it that. It's just the future of work, right? Or it's just how we should we should be working now. Uh, but it's you know, I think if we can continue to think about of it, think about it as a business challenge, we're approaching it the wrong way. Actually, it's a it's a people solution, you know, and the point is, is that we've gone through the biggest transformation program that any company will ever go through, the biggest change that any company will ever go through. And not only that, you know, we've had humans go through one of the most seismic things they will ever go through and we're basically asked them to go through a transformation program without taking care of or any consideration of what they've been through right so actually you're asking you know if you have an f1 car that suddenly has to go on really different ter difficult terrain you're going to pull it out and you're going to prepare it and make sure that it's ready for it and we haven't done any of that so the point is, you know, to that point around flexibility, flexibility is absolutely at the heart of this. But actually, in order to be able to work that way, not only do we have to be cognizant of what we've actually been through, but we have to set people up to be able to deal with what's coming up. And that, for me, is about trust. It's about connection. It's about relationship building. It's about growth mindset all of these new skills, mindsets and behaviours that people just don't have at the moment. Right. And we have to consider not this not being a structural thing, a technology thing, a framework thing. Of course, those things have to happen. Those policies have to happen, et cetera, et cetera. But we have to come back to the point that at the moment, we know that people are massively disengaged. You know, people have gone from, we, we've done some research recently where we've seen that people have um, put work as their number one priority from 50% down to 28%, putting self-care ahead of it. And rightly so, because they're bloody burnt out, right? And, mm -hmm. and they're disengaged with the places that they've been working with. So if we want to shift that, then we need to really think about how we can reconnect with those people. And putting them first is absolutely at the heart of it, because otherwise we're just going to keep burning people out. If you don't want people to check out and ultimately burn out, then you have to re-engage with them. And that, for me, is making this, is put, genuinely putting people at the heart of it and doing it quickly, because otherwise people are going to really float with their feet. Yeah, yeah. No, brilliant. Okay, thank you. And yeah, John, did you have any sort of thoughts on this? 
Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, I have to agree with all the other panel members. Completely agree with everything they've just said, and uh, you know, in, in particular, what Alison said about you know, this is a this is a label. This isn't something new. So workplace flexibility it is historically around giving employees more flexibility over time and place. So where they do their work and when. So this hybrid has really come from that. It's a type of workplace flexibility around place. You work can work from the office, the traditional workplace. Or you can work from home or you can work from some other remote location. And that's kind of what, where this has all come from. But what, what I've found really interesting you know, in our research is that most organizations didn't design their current hybrid work model. It just happened. So what kind of happened was prior to the pandemic, everybody came to the office every day. That was it. That was the, that was the norm. Nobody challenged the status quo. Nobody questioned it. In terms of workplace flexibility that was available then was very minimal. Uh, you know, it did exist, but very few people even knew that they they could have access to it. So what's kind of happened is then the pandemic comes along. People can't go to work because of pandemic restrictions and they have to isolate and stay at home. And thankfully, you know, the pandemic did happen in you know 2020 and not you know, 1999, because then they wouldn't have been able to continue to work from home. They wouldn't have had the technology and tools to enable them to do that. But they did. And they went home and they were able to continue work without any experience of working from home in the past without the right equipment and without the right setup so you know you know as kate alluded to you know it was a very difficult situation to be in but but beside that people managed to get through and even even beyond that productivity not only stayed as good as it was but in many cases even increased and then what happened was as the um, restrictions started to lift different at different times in different countries around the world people started to drift back in you know as confident as confidence went up but not only confidence in in not you know not catching covid but confidence in being able to kind of go out but even then confidence worked the other way is down people like saying well hang on a minute i've been working from home for two years i can work from home like i can work like this again in the future and continue to work like this and continue to have flexibility i like what i've just tasted over the last two years and I want it to continue. And that's kind of where we're at at the moment. And these models of hybrid work are definitely starting to emerge. And that's that's definitely my key focus for, for my current research. But nobody has has cracked that yet. And it, and it isn't, it's not, there's no perfect solution. And, no. and again, I think it was Alison that said, it's forever revolving and, and always will be. And I, I know, for instance, today that Apple announced, Tim Cook announced that, now, their hybrid model is going to be everybody in on a Tuesday and a Thursday and one other day that's decided by their team. And that's a pilot. So if Apple are only doing their pilot, you know, and they're, they're ahead of the curve, you know, when it comes to you know, almost any organization in the world, that shows you the immaturity of the current hybrid wear models. Yeah. And that's OK, isn't it? Like we should be approaching that's this right. as an experiment. And by the way, it wasn't OK before. Do you know what I mean? Like, actually, you know, we we know from, as I'm sure you guys will know as well, people were so done with how we were working before and the stress levels were insane. So even if we get something that's about 70 or 80% right, we're a lot better than we were previously, by the way. Yeah, I, I think one of the things with the, with the hybrid working thing that that, it, that makes it kind of hard and like, it, I, I don't know, like it, it, when the pandemic happened and everyone kind of went remote, right? Like for some some companies, a lot of the companies I, I work with, that was like a forcing function to be like, shit, we, we need to we need to like sort out stuff, right? And and be intentional about how we design. I think you said like 
the previous hybrid working job wasn't designed that was like a big push for people to be like we should design how we do stuff more um and and like and one of those things was remote working but i feel like it 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 with the hybrid thing it it kind of has this weird conflict between like the thing that was before which is being in an office and then this new design thing where there's all this flexibility and and i think in in you know in any reasonable sized organization that that can lead to this like weird tension and make it difficult to to work out how to do hybrid. I almost think that's like an added challenge to hybrid over and above all the challenges that come with being fully remote, right? Um, you know, because there's this kind of this historical stuff associated with what an office is and how offices work and all that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, look, uh, it's, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, it, I, it's, it's a really, it's, there's this difficulty and I want to try and push it in now to like more about like the the leaders or leadership's challenge. And there's some common objections around, you know, junior team members not having like experience, like the team culture, learning development is, is, is like can be trickier. Um, how do you effectively manage your team um, and that sort of, you know, onboarding and yeah sort of protecting company culture so maybe to kate like to begin with why is it so hard what why 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 are leaders finding this so hard um why are leaders finding it so hard well i mean let, let, let's let's talk about middle managers as well as leaders right because i think personally that i i personally think the middle managers really hold the key to this because from from my opinion i think that if we think about one of one of the greatest challenges that that is represented by hybrid working what we're talking about is on a human level the challenge between trust and connection and i think actually what that comes down to as humans is that we just have to become a lot more conscious right and actually to really really develop our human skills in terms of how we connect with people um i think the problem that we're facing when it comes to middle managers who I think, you know, when, if we think about actually one of the greatest greatest um, outcomes or problematic outcomes that has come from working in hybrid is that people are ultimately very disengaged. And the way to overcome that is that we really need to improve those engagement levels. And that's going to come from that, that connection, which I believe on a macro scale within an organization is going to come from, from middle managers. So we need to look at how we can help people improve that connectedness um, and at the moment, it's just not really happening, is it? You know, you can see that trust is a massive issue within organisations. You know, the um, or I think managers really. Sorry, that's my dog. I'm so sorry. Um, we you know we've gone from a place that managers have gone from being product managers into people leaders, and at their very best, they. Don't... I'm so sorry. Two seconds. Yeah. Um, at their very best. They don't... I don't know whether we should stop or. or... Yeah, we'll wait, we'll wait. <laughs> they, um, they're very best. They had absolutely, they have very little training. But then if you think on top of that, a lot of people now have been promoted into manager roles, but they actually haven't had, they because in order to try and keep them. But again, they haven't got any, um, they haven't had any training within that. And then the other side of it as well is that actually people are coming to them. We're, we're seeing now that 90% of all managers are having to face increasingly complex challenges that are coming to them from their team because their team are going through more than they've ever done previously. You know, and we talk about this so much, you know, and there is no talking therapist in the world that doesn't have a supervisor. 
And actually, some of the stuff that's being placed on those managers' shoulders as a people leader is is wild, right? That they're having to deal with and they've just had no training in it. So that disconnection is, is becoming more and more. On the other side of it, you know, people actually don't necessarily trust the team that they're working with. So that, so that is fueling that um, lack of lack of connection as well. Mm. So for me, I think that that as a people pro- that as a people problem is one of the things that's really affecting culture at the moment. Yeah. So like, and, it, and it, I think it's I believe it's the most obvious way of quickly reconnecting people and improving their engagement with the organization yeah okay amazing and that sort of that trust resonates so much that point does anyone else want to jump in with thoughts on on what Kate just said or yeah John go for it yeah look sure look I think Kate Kate really nailed it there I think that that kind of team leader middle manager supervisor level it has always been the key role in in accessing workplace flexibility I know you know, some of the research I've been involved in long before the pandemic, when you look at particularly large organizations, you might have a look at policies they might have for flexible working. The policies look fantastic. But when you look at, you kind of dig a little bit deeper at that middle manager level, they don't know anything about the policy. And then you look at the employees, they don't know anything about the policy or the fact that they're allowed to, by, by law, it's actually even in the Australian Fair Work Act, like you can request flexible work arrangements based on certain criteria. There was a lack of awareness and a lack of awareness amongst the supervisors. Even within certain organisations, you might get two, two identical requests to two different managers and two different answers just based on you know, their knowledge and their own personalities. But what I also think as well is and why it's so important that managers are kind of really involved in this conversation and their roles change and evolve over time is that throughout COVID, not only did they had to continue their own, their own job and their own role under very difficult circumstances, they've all of a sudden become a counsellor and a coach and all, they've, they've inherited all these other roles that they never had before because, you know, they're looking after the well-being and the happiness of their staff, in, again, in, in a difficult period. So, yeah, I think when it comes to anything to culture and wellness, they, they pay a key role in this whole, in this whole picture. Yeah, thank, thanks, John. And you recently just shared a, um, a posting in the last day that Eric, it was Eric Schmidt saying, exe uh, of uh, Google, uh, Google saying he didn't know how we build great managers. Like that was the thing that he focused on, wasn't it? It was almost the management. <laughs> how do you do that remotely was 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 the crux of that. So, um, yeah, that, Danny Allison, have you, you got any yeah. thoughts? Go for it, Allison. Yeah, I think I want to add to that because I completely agree, absolutely 100% agree with everything that's been said about managers and middle managers. I think, you know, Danny had said before that this isn't like um, a shift from one thing to another. We're adding an extra layer on. So it's not just that we've gone from working in the office to working remote. We're kind of mixing all of those things up. So with that extra layer, we need a, a, a new set of skills and a new approach. And I, I mean, even before the pandemic, one of the things that I was noticing was that our need to work together and collaborate well was increasing, yet our skills to do that ability um, effectively hadn't quite quite caught up. And I think um, people had almost got a, a full sense of security in all of the technology that's been created to help us collaborate and communicate, forgetting that they are tools, like they're great tools, they're tools, but it's people that collaborate and communicate not the tools we have to know how to use them effectively so some of the skills that I'm seeing you know as well as all the things that Kate and John have mentioned around you know um 
reaching out, being able to kind of, you know, um, see the signals of teams um, being in trouble and being able to have those conversations. For leaders, I'm seeing that we also need to develop those skills within team members as well, because it can't just be on the shoulders of the leaders. This is changing so fast. And as a whole population of workers, we need to take responsibility for learning how to connect and collaborate and work with each other more effectively. That takes, you know, Kate has already mentioned a growth mindset. It takes an experimental approach, like understanding that the way that we work needs to continuously improve and we need to have a like a you know like apple the pilot approach we are trying things out and um, we are coming back and we're reviewing we're looking at our habits we understand behavior change and a big kind of core of this for me um because of my background and because of what i do is the role of facilitation the ability to, to facilitate and have good conversations about how we work together and i think you know if we were to take that skill out and just do that sit down and talk about how we work together and not just expect it to happen because we're working you know we're sitting next to each other or we've got the tools we've got slack and slack should do it for us you know it's actually you know we need to really sit down and think what are the skills that we need for this new era of work and take the approach for all levels to kind of learn it there's a there's a definitely a need for much more self-awareness you know yeah leaders need to know um when someone's in trouble or when someone needs help but similarly workers need to know well how do I work best when am I most productive when am I most creative what triggers me what do I find challenging when do I need to reach out to my team members when do I need to collaborate when do I need to be working alone and again we're not cultivating those conversations yeah, yeah brilliant thank you thank you Alison and D Danny like what, what do you see done well by um Oyster for example because you've seen like you've seen it it's like meta, right? You're trying to do it and we're doing it. it was well, it's happening. Yeah, exactly. It, it, so it's really interesting. Obviously, for context, Oyster's distribute company and fully remote, right? So not a hybrid organization and we'll, we'll never likely have any offices or anything, right? So like, um, but, but I, I think that, you know, all of that stuff that, that everyone's just talked about, right? Like connection manage, managers, knowing how to do that, look after people, accidentally becoming counselors, right? that was super, super important. Uh, but but I often find myself saying like some of the people I work with I, I end up being like I always feel like good remote working is really just good working in that like all the stuff that you know when the pandemic hit and I was working with remote companies at the time um, or companies shifting to it there were some firms that just just when the pandemic hit everything was fine right because they had solid teams they had good managers who were skilled at at managing and understanding and building teams and connections and relationships and all this stuff. They sort of had that stuff and they had all of the technical tools and, and whatever in place. Um, and they were intentional about how they used them and how they designed how they work, right? And the pandemic just didn't really hit them that much. Everyone just went home. And like, and it was kind of kind of fine. That's simplification there, but you know, um, whereas other companies, it absolutely didn't. And it is funny, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Oyster, we we spend a lot of time like worrying basically about how to build connections. You've got people in time zones where they potentially can never talk. How do you do that? And we had just a load of intentional practices that were, were a lot of them were very simple. Like we'd, we'd always start meetings with certain check-ins that were designed in a specific way to, to like bring people together a little bit more and, you know, tiny little thing, but, but added up at every meeting that became an organizational habit, which was, which then bled into the culture. You know, we, we, we even like you, you mentioned Slack earlier on, Alison, like it. Sure, you're right. Slack's just a tool, but you can choose to use Slack in about a thousand different ways. Right. And you can build 
you know, I'm not saying you can build really genuine, amazing connections on Slack, but you can kind of build some reasonable connections with, with teams and people by using Slack well, right? But, but that has to, you have to be intentional about making that happen, which means having some rules. And it also means having people who go role model at those behaviors, right? And go out there and, and, and are on there doing the right things on Slack or reacting or posting in shout outs channels or whatever to, to kind of get that thing going. Uh, and, and, you know, there's like millions of other little things. Like we, we used to do social calls a lot, Oyster, where we just normalized jumping on Zoom and chatting with someone just for like, and deliberately not talking about work. And we sort of gave some guidance to people who, who, who were maybe new to remote working and were like, that feels really weird. Um, we gave them like literally a list of like weird stuff to talk about when you're socially weird on Zoom, right? <laughs> and like, and, and it worked. People started talking to each other, right? Uh, across the company and you kind of started to get those water cooler moments that, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that people were forever talking about as, as not happening in remote work. And like, and, and you know, we also did a, gave a lot of guidance on, on well-being and that kind of stuff, right? And, and that was a really important thing for, for managers, particularly loneliness, especially during the pandemic, right? But it's a huge thing. And, and I think um, you said about, I know we're going to talk about like um, more junior employees. Like, I think that's a huge thing, right? It's easy for me in this nice house I live in and stuff to be like, not lonely. Um, but, but if you're sat in like a, like a, a basement flat somewhere with like a view of a wall out your window hunched up on your bed with a laptop on your knees like remote working can get pretty lonely right so um and there's a whole that's a whole nother thing though like to, yeah a bit look i mean it's such an important point i'd like to explore it uh when you were talking about the the that remote bit like kate it reminded me you were t talking about the extra effort you have to put in for long distance relationship right is that like yeah, yeah i mean not my own but yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's I think what that immediately made me think about, um, and I think everyone's just made some unbelievably good points there. You know, I think the first thing is when it comes to um, to managers, you know, or, or or indeed anyone, when you're thinking about how you genuinely make remote working work, or sort of not even remote working, hybrid working work. The point is, it's almost like thinking about it as though, you know, as a human, if you if you want to work better, you might have to adopt new behaviours in order to be able to do that. And when you initially do it, it might feel really bloody uncomfortable. Like, But as soon as you put in these new routines, what might feel uncomfortable at first suddenly becomes second nature. And all of a sudden, those actions that you're having are consequently making you feeling and then thinking better, right? So it's going the other way around the cognitive triangle rather than think, feel, do. Um, so I think, and I think that's incredibly important. So thinking about it on a human level, but then also within an organization, what, what soon will become your norm. But, you know, and, and again, and I'm really pleased that Alison said about this, listen, I genuinely think that, that middle managers on that kind of macro level within an organization have a huge responsibility. I'm also super conscious that they've got a lot of other stuff going on. So how do we make things second nature? But also we must never get to this place of parent child. We have to stay totally adult adult in within our interactions and a huge part of this when we deal with organizations is we come back to the place of what's in it for me helping people understand what their responsibility and their accountability is um when it comes to them as a, a junior employee right through to a leader you know and so we're doing a big piece of work um with a client at the moment where you know whether we consider it as well-being whether we consider it as mental health whatever whatever we say if what is what is the reason why we want 
to help this organization perform at its best from an organizational point of view and on an individual point of view. So what impact is it going to make to me as an individual, for my team, for my organization, and then society at large, right? And if we do that, then we help people understand why they are doing something, because when they're first doing it, it's probably going to be a bit more challenging, right? And so it's going to take a little bit more energy to do that. So I think that that's a really crucial part of always whatever it is that whatever the behavior change that we're looking for someone to make, given it probably will take a little bit more energy than just staying the same. Why are we doing it? And why are we committing to that? Um, yeah. And ultimately the end benefit to everyone. Yeah, uh, amazing. On that why thing, one of the things we, we, we did at Oyster like religiously was we documented stuff, like everything, like how we work. When, basically, whenever anything was needing to be like a habit, we were very intentional about how we designed it and we wrote it down. But that writing always included, and why do why are we doing it like this, right? Because otherwise, it it just you said about that parent child thing, people just ended up being like, well, these are the rules, and I have to follow the rules, right? Which is not just not useful in any context, really, right? You know, so like, yeah, totally agree with. You have with to you. move it from extrinsic motivation into intrinsic, right? Yeah, and exactly you know, right. There, there's there's quite big shifts along that, but um, you know, we're never we're never going to quite get there unless people genuinely understand what's in it for them. You can market this stuff as much as you want and communicate it but until they see what they'll get out of it. It's never going to work. It, it sort of feels like we're talking a lot of, I mean, beliefs, you know, change behaviours, right? So we're talking about beliefs and in, in, in this a, a lot. I don't know. Um, John, where were you? Are you interested in jumping in? And Yeah, look, uh, look, just one point I wanted to make is obviously tonight with, or today for you guys, tonight for me, we're talking, uh, and as far as long distance relationships goes, it, I think this first date for me is going okay with you. <laughs> 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 but, but, who, who, who are you most interested in? Let's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but obviously we're, we're talking about hybrid work. So you know, the, the fact that we're saying hybrid work and we kind of defined what it was before, there's some level of expectation that people will spend some time in the office. So, and I think that that maybe the things that we're talking about, you know, the culture building, the um, you know, nurturing young talent, things like that, maybe they're the things that we focus on when we are we do come together. So, and I know in terms of you know, the interviews that I I kind of conducted last year, interviewed lots of kind of um, senior leaders around Australia to to ask them some of the questions we've been asking tonight, you know, in terms of what does hybrid mean to you? How are you going to manage it? What kind of models are you going to have? And uh, look, I would say for me that the number one word for 2021 was purpose. They kept saying purpose, kept coming up in every single interview. Said so you can't bring people in to sit in Zoom meetings all day. You can't pe bring people in, force them to come in, to get their business suit on and come in and, get, and sit in traffic or in the commute. And, uh, and sit in front of a, a computer all day, working on spreadsheets. They need to have a purpose. So they're, they're saying that, you know, coming to the office needs to be a magnet and not a mandate. There needs to be something there that they see value in, a purpose for them to come in. And uh, yeah, and look, in terms of companies I've worked with, when, when I asked them that question and, the, and what things they think work well when we come together, tend to be things like, like planning days and collaboration, training informing events and social events and you know that's very important in terms of the um you, you know nurturing that right kind of culture and uh, and yeah look and maybe you know if, if everybody comes in on a monday or a tuesday or whatever day it might be maybe some combination of those types of events 
is a magnet to draw people into the office and it is something that they want to come to. It's not something like, oh my God, I've got to go in tomorrow just because it's a Tuesday and I have to yeah. go in on a Tuesday. There's a purpose for them to actually be there. Yeah, we have a framework that we use at Bracket and we found a lot of success in it actually. And where it starts with is alignment and it is alignment around, you know, how we're going to work. But we have to start with what's the work that we need to get done as a team? Like, what is it that we actually need to come together? What does success look like for us as a team? And therefore, how do we need to work in order to reach that? So, our, you know, our pillars, our framework goes from alignment. So it's like, you know, what's the purpose of what we do? And how do we need to be as a team to reach that level of success? Who is on the team? So zooming right into the individuals. Okay, so this is the expertise that we have in the team. And these are the ways that we all work. Let's understand a little bit more about each other so that then we can start to think about how we communicate more effectively. Like, how does that person like to receive feedback? When is that person most productive? When is that person best for, you know, to, to tap for a meeting or a bit of knowledge? Then moving into this kind of design. So again, having the skills to think, okay, let's create the way that we work. Let's work by design, not by default. Let's not, not just fall into this, but let's actually be intentional about the work that we need to do, where we're trying to get to, and therefore what we need to do, but, you know, how we use Slack, how do we start off our meetings? When do we need to come together? What do those meetings actually look like? What are the different types of meetings that we need to run? And then going into, okay, so what habits do we need to change? in order to make those things work because teams all teams have got habits whether they're productive whether they're unproductive and again having the conversations around what those habits are are these habits getting us to where we want to get to are they helping us to work in the most effective way that we need to is it making the best of everyone on the team so again those conversations and understanding the nature of behavior like behavior change is hard it takes energy so going back to what Kate said well what is in it for me to make this change and how do we actually make this change easy and simple so that we start to build momentum what are the kind of quick wins first of all so that we keep these conversations going amazing thank you yeah so and we're here we're talking about developing the sort of effective working culture hey it's like there's there's the intentional element of it and it not just sort of you know happening by chance um yeah does anyone else want to jump in around around this and you know i, I think one you know one of the things that i've noticed with, with folks i work with that that's often hard is literally all that stuff you you just said alison right because it a lot of it's like, oh, wow, we, we've kind of never thought about it like this before, right? We've just accidentally done stuff, right? And, and, it, and it, you know, especially when you're, you know, it's very easy to sit down and be like, hey, let's talk about how we're going to use Slack or how we're going to do meetings or whatever, right? Th those are not hard problems, right? They're, I mean, they can be, but usually they're hard because of you haven't done that bit before, right? With the purpose and like, like. But th that stuff's hard when you sit down with somebody and you're like, actually, yeah, we do need to sit down and talk about like, why, I mean, I mean, you know, why do, why do we exist? Why do we all work here? Why do we have a team this size? Why do we like, those are questions people are like, well, I don't really know. It just sort of, you know, I can probably look back at some meeting notes and see some really weird independent decisions that led to all this, but like, it just kind of is how we are. And, and I think shifting a mindset to, 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 especially for leaders of companies to being like, how do we, you know, let's be intentional, but, but it can be difficult because it feels hard, especially for smaller companies where the leaders of those companies are busy running the company and bits are falling off all over the place. And it's already chaotic sitting down and being like, Hey, now let's spend some time together, like working on these very difficult problems potentially, because it'll pay off in a minute. 
I, I don't know, Alison. Like, if, if that's what I found when I do that kind of stuff, that it's just, it's just tough um, to, to because it's big work for people, you know. The muscle. Yeah. It's a muscle that you have to of course start it working is. and Once building. you do that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it then gets easier and easier to think about big, difficult problems because you, you're, you're training yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's ironic, isn't it? Because it's actually the thing that's most important. And yet, you know, we're always all so focused on our product or our service and so rarely on the business and the people that we work within, where we, that we work with. And it's like, actually, this is you know, this is probably the most important thing that we can be doing, but because we've never done it before in most instances, unless you are a coach, you know, you've probably never challenged yourself in this way. And it feels really hard. So you're just like, well, we'll just push it over here rather than actually um, approaching it in any way. I think, you know, so in that instance, you know, if you think about it, it's, it's how do I reframe this to be something that I do actually want to rep- approach rather than come away from? And I think there's something in that curiosity, isn't there? And I think also, you know, I love that whole thing that you're saying about the, the word that summarised it. For me, I think that actually when it comes to those kind of stuff and, and a word that I'm absolutely obsessed with this year is joy. Like, I just want more joy. Sorry, I swore, didn't I? Like, I want more <laughs> Who doesn't, joy. right? Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> the last couple of years have been really hard. Like, And I think everyone else feels a bit like that. You know, so if we change this to joy, how do we get more joy? How do we make work better? Then it feels quite different, you know? And I think I think the way that we make work better is something around that individualization, something around that flexibility, you know, and putting that at the heart of it, you know, that, that giving people... Um, giving people the chance to really think about what's important to them. And, you know, you nailed that. The point being is that we've never really, we've never really put a focus on, on, on how we want to work. And more importantly, we've never really focused on the relationships that we have at work. Going back to that long distance relationship, we've just taken it all for granted, you know, and now we, you know, I think, I think organizations are breaking because relationships are breaking and we really need to refocus our efforts on that you know, thinking about ourselves as individuals, what we want work to look like, but also, you know, the relationships that are going to sit at the heart of it and make it thrive. Yeah, amazing. Thank you, Kate. So, uh, like, in amongst this discussion, we're talking also about, you know, the sort of high performance piece. I I wondered whether, like, John, have you got got any thoughts on, like, what are the measurements or what what should we be measuring here? What, what, What does, what is high performance? Yeah, look, I think uh, I think performance has not necessarily changed that much in terms of what our what an organisation's focus must be. So, in terms of you know, what, no matter what company you're in, you're probably interested in sales and profit and quality and good customer satisfaction. So that's not going to change. So, in terms of whether you know you're you're a business selling um, uh, you, you know cans of coke or you're a business selling whatever it might be. The, the nature of the business and probably your vision and your mission probably haven't changed that much. But the way that you achieve those outputs has changed. So it's a it's an operational change. It's the way that you manage your people to attain those outputs. Now, now what I would say is if everybody had gone home uh, during the pandemic and performance had fell off the, off the end of a cliff, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. We're having this conversation because the power has shifted towards the people. So it's a case of where we went home for two years and productivity went up. Why do we have to come back in the office anymore? You know, there's hard evidence there uh, and experience that, you know, we don't have to come into an office to be able to perform at these levels. So, so, so that's where, that's kind of where this 
probably situation and, and debate starts. But I would say in terms of, again, uh, and I, like, I remember someone before said, like to keep things simple. I, I'm certainly one of those people who loves to keep things as simple as possible. Things can get very complicated very, very quickly. So I tend to think that, you know, focusing on, and you know, a theme that's really run through this whole conversation tonight is, and what Kate said, enjoy, but 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 even a case of, you know, well-being, and I would extend that to happiness. You know, having happy people. If you want to perform well, you know, you want to be able to have staff that. How do you how do you, how do you make them happy? How do you make this an environment to work in? How do you give people what they want? You know, I was involved in in a research project with Deloitte earlier this year. Uh, and someone else on the panel mentioned about how important well-being and flexibility is. And we found in this project with Deloitte that people now value that above a pay rise. So they really value this. I mean, you know, we talk about the great resignation and one of the big reasons behind that. And I don't know it's like so much like in the UK, but in Australia, it's, there's a huge talent shortage at the moment. Recruitment is really difficult. And you have to offer flexibility, otherwise you don't even you don't even get any talent, you know. So that, so it's an there's an expectation there already. So yeah, so so I would say uh, in terms of how you get that, it's really about looking after your people, you know, making sure that they kind of know what what their role is, why they're doing what they're doing, what what role they play in in the wider organisation, you know, what what does their you know what the work that they do. How does that contribute to to you know the wide the wider department and, and organization? And um, but in terms of monitoring that, so in terms of data, like anything else, things like you know staff turnover is a big one. You know if you've got big staff turnover, that's a problem. Um, so people tend to be much more likely to kind of walk now than they probably ever were before. So to retain staff, you you need to offer them one of the one of the biggest incentives you can give. Is this flexibility so so to give them some level of flexibility and control and over over where and when like i mentioned before they do their job because then if they do that you're giving them probably one of the greatest gifts you can give them is more time so if they have more time they have a better work-life balance they can use that time to you know take the kids to school go to the gym do yoga do the things that they like that makes their life better and they can still get the job done. So I would say that would be my my take on that. Great, thanks, John. Um, does anyone want to sort of add add any thoughts? We, one of the principles that, that I, I find myself talking about all the time is is this idea of measuring me, measuring whatever like outputs, right? Which sounds really weird. Obviously, like, like leaders of businesses have always done that, right? That's, that's how you know what's happening, right? But like talking about like you know line managers, right? You know, uh, and more junior managers, I, I think. That they, I, I've seen lots of teams where where everyone just comes to work and does work right, and actually they don't necessarily have any good metrics for measuring how well their team is doing doing their thing right, you know, and 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 so working out what that is, it, you know, so so they measure that team by like, are they at work? Are they online for, for this for time or whatever, right? And, and measuring output over time or whatever, right, is really really important to to make this stuff work for all the reasons John just said, right. And, but I've definitely had to end up sitting down and being like, well, how do we measure the output of this small, like low level team or business unit, right? What actually is that? And, and that can be a really challenging thing, right? Putting, putting metrics on stuff, you know? Um, and I, but I think the other things like, you know, to the question, how do you make high performing teams? Like, obviously like trust is, is, is it basically, in my opinion, that's it, right? Like, but that's like a, one of those weird it's like that drawing an owl you, you draw circles and then finish the owl right like it, it, it trust is like 
the finished owl and, and it's very difficult to work out how to actually do that sometimes it happens good right there and there's a lot of things involved but one of the things I think gets talked about less than it should particularly in a remote context is clarity right like it I've seen lots of organizations do a lot of stuff around relationship building and all of this which builds trust um, like individual interpersonal trust between various different folks and teams and that works really well and it all gets smashed down through lack of clarity in in certain things that might be lack of clarity on how how we do this thing who who is it that does whatever everything right and and particularly in a remote setting where you can't just nip over there and ask someone how uh, the answer to that that thing to get clarity it can really, really erode trust. Like a lack of clarity is probably the number one thing I've seen eroding trust in distributed or remote teams, right? And and it's the sort of thing that shouldn't, you know, and a lot of the times it's, it's lack of clarity about really stuff that should be really easy to answer or is really easy. It's just that the clarity isn't there. And so there's confusion and all the rest of it. And I, I don't know, I'd love to, to other people's thoughts on that, but I feel like we should be talking about creating clarity in organizations more than we are in a general sense. Yeah around communication well communication obviously at the heart of that isn't there it's so interesting isn't it because it's kind of like you know what is what is the modern med, uh, measurement of an organization working well because you know exactly as you said you know it used to if you think about how um uh companies were measured there was timesheets right and actually timesheets now are absolutely prohibitive when it comes to things like performance and well-being so you have to, you know there was something around time then there's obviously something around productivity but the point about productivity is that it can then so much come you know it it for how long does that keep going you know versus at the expense say of people's well-being or indeed their connection and their engagement you know because I think at the moment yeah I, I do believe obviously um, as we saw when we first went into the lockdown productivity increased but let's remember you know we were absolutely all really fearful of what might happen so everyone was gunning for it and then off the back of that we're all now quite burnt out and actually what we've seen from some of the work that we've done is that um, CEOs are turning around and saying that actually they feel like their organization isn't as productive maybe there's something around innovation as well because i think that that's probably you know if that is genuinely going to lead us out you know of this looming recession that we're potentially all facing you know are people as innovative as they used to be how can they be when they haven't had anywhere near as much stimulus or indeed as much connection you know and if and if that's something that we're all going to be focusing on if it's not there then those measurements have gone down there are so many different things and it's like, what is that? What is that modern measurement now? And more to the point, what happens if they are at the detriment of each of, of other things? Mm. Yeah, I, I think I would like to see um, all teams and organisations measuring a little bit more about how how they're working together. Um, I mean, it sort of goes back to the Google Aristotle research where they identified that like, psychological safety. Um, being like, the key thing, sort of how those teams work together. They thought it was going to be who was on the team and where they, you know, where they went to school, all those kinds of things. And it was actually really about, you know, how they work together, whether there was clarity um, on goals and tasks, whether they could depend on each other. So I feel like they, if we start measuring that, you know, as well as 
you know, the quality of the work, um, how people are feeling, but how people are working together, it kind of all put a bit more of a lens on having those conversations and also giving people, you know, back to what Danny was saying, giving people the permission um, to talk about how they work together. I mean, I have this phrase that I say, you know, how you work together has more of an impact on the success of the team than what you're working on and even who you're working with. So, you know, you can have a great idea terrible team like you know conflict in the team you're not going to get there and um, you can have a, a you know the best individual stars they don't know where to work how to work well together they're going to fail so that kind of focus on measuring how um i think could also be a, a, a way um to to look at this going forward awesome okay great well look we, we need to um wrap up it's been really like yeah there's such good discussion and debate there's so much in this so you know, might might take a, a couple of uh, watch throughs to to remember all of this. Um, in um, yeah, in less than twenty words, and 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 Kate, you 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 just mentioned like the the potential recession that's that's sort of looming. What advice would you give to um, you know leaders, uh, especially around obviously hybrid working and uh, the, the the landscape we have ahead of us? So yeah, fire away. Less than twenty words. Yeah, yeah, you can have a bit more. Welcome recession. Less than twenty words. <laughs> uh, okay, my 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 advice is focus on what's going on inside rather than what's going on outside. You know, if you can get your people to their best and your organisation working, the rest doesn't matter. Amazing, great, thank you. I apologise. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome, John. Yeah, you're up next. Yeah, look, I, I would extend on that and say that don't uh, don't aim or expect perfection. You know, this isn't this isn't maths. There's no one answer, and it will be forever moving. But I just add one other thing, which is within twenty words. Uh, so I mentioned, <laughs> I, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned like last year. Last year's word for me was was purpose without a doubt that really kind of emerged a lot with with the companies I spoke to the year before that was probably a close race between unprecedented and pivot so they were kind of neck and neck in, in <laughs> now I know it's only August but I'm, I'm going to call it already the word for this year is rhythm so I think hybrid work is about finding your rhythm and remember Apple are only piloting their hybrid work model now so look you're not you're not behind Brilliant, thank you. Uh, Danny? I, gu I guess, like, basically just totally riffing on what Kate said, like, um, de design your organisation as carefully as you would your products, like, uh, and and it, it won't be perfect and it will evolve in the same way you build products like that, build your organisation like that, but pay that attention to it, um, which means people and the systems that allow those people to do stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's it, really. Great stuff. Thanks, Annie. And Alison? Um, yeah, and to sort of underline all of what everyone said, it's like, give yourself and your teams permission and space to have these conversations. Um, really, you know, understand how important it is to be intentional about this. And it is needed and okay to have conversations about this and know that you need to develop new skills um, and a mindset for this way of working as well. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you. Um, so there you have it. So I suppose some key takeaways is it's going to take a shift in how we manage our teams and the trust we place in our workers to get hybrid to work. Um, 
you know, having a growth mindset is like absolutely key to this and communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, I, I love like making coming into the office a magnet or a mandate. So really like that really resonated. Um, I share ways of getting in touch um, with the panelists in the notes. Um, and yeah, our next Wise Wednesday, Next month will be on success through systems. So uh, tune in. Um, if you've got any sort of questions or anything, you know, please like put them in the uh, comments below and we'll answer them, uh, even these guys or myself. Um, and look, thank you so much for, for joining. Thank you so much to the panelists. And I hope everyone feels slightly wiser this Wednesday as a result of joining us. So thank you. Cheers, mate. Thank you.